Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for November 24th, 2021. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, at least in the U.S., uh, celebrating this Thursday. So hope to cook a lot of food, eat a lot of food, watch a lot of football, read some comics. That's that's what I have planned for the day. What about you, Jay? It sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. It'll be a pretty, pretty decent week. Uh, just a reminder, everybody, if you're looking for the DC books, that's Tuesday's DC Spotlight, where we go deep dive into the DC books. Uh, full spoilers. Uh, Rocky from Comic Boom, uh, the YouTube channel. And I uh, really enjoy the DC books this week. There was no there were no sneakers. There were some some so almost surprisingly good books. Um, I think my favorite was the Superman 78 number four from Robert Venditti and Wilfredo Torres and Rocky gave his nod for his favorite DC book to Robin number eight from artist Gleb Melnikov, Max Dunbar and written by uh, Joshua Williamson. So we're going to go ahead and dive into the Marvel and independence on uh, the new comic book day episode, as we always do, this will be spoiler free. So uh, I'm going to kick it off with uh Amazing Spider-Man, number 79. We know Spider-Man's pretty much gone weekly at this point. Last week, it was a point issue, 78 point beyond, which we expressed our frustration at. Um, so this one's written by Cody Ziegler. Art is by Michael Dowling. Jesus Arbatov on colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, it was okay. I think where it shines is the art. I'm not familiar with Michael Dowling. But I thought his art was really good. I uh, love the color work by Arbatov as well. Um, you know, we know there's like a ton of, of people. Like when you look at the credits, we, they've got this beyond board. They're calling it Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells. They're all great storytellers. Here's the thing. They're splitting up different issues and they're each scripting different issues. And although the overall tone is very similar because they're all working together, you know, you can almost, it's almost like Marvel's put together like a writer's room, like you would do for a TV show. Right. Like you, you have these writers that work on a TV show in a writer's room and they all throw around ideas and they they come up with the general outline and plot for the whole season. But then you have specific writers that write the dialogue. They script uh, what the characters say for, for certain episodes. And that's pretty much exactly the same plan that Marvel's following here. I, I will say I hope it doesn't become the norm for for comics. I don't think this is the way to do comics. Again, I'm fans of all of these creators. Some of them I, I absolutely love. I mean, Kelly Thompson got my writer of the year last year. So clearly I'm a fan. Saladin Ahmed, again, huge fan. Zeb Wells, I've read less of, but I've liked what I've read. Cody Ziegler, I don't know that I'm that familiar with. Patrick Gleason, you know, he, he uh, along with Peter J. Tomasi, did the Super Sons run over at DC, which I just loved. So again, I'm fans of these creators. But here's the thing, when there's so much more that goes into a TV show to make sure you get the tone correct, right? So even though all the writers kind of plot the whole season, you just have one or two writers that are writing, writing a specific episode, writing the dialogue, scripting, what have you. But you hear the actor's voice, uh, you know, the, the, the look of the show, the director of photography is often the same. You get the same directors over and over and so there's so many more contributions to make sure the tone stays the same. With a comic, that's not the case. And to top it off, because of the speed with which Amazing Spider-Man's coming out now, like I mentioned, it's practically a weekly book at this point. 
there's not no consistency of art. And although there's a consistency of story in terms of the plot, we're not getting consistency of story in terms of the scripting, in terms of, you know, the vocabulary and, and what characters are saying. And it's not hugely noticeable, but for me, it is noticeable that, you know, the tone, the way Ben Riley talks in one issue isn't necessarily, necessarily consistent with the way he'll talk in the following issue. And I, I, I think that's a little bit of a problem. It's not, it's not consistent. And that's not to say that I'm not enjoying this idea of this beyond corporation and Ben Riley being uh, basically a, a corporate employee, I guess you'd say. And, and with the new costume and the things that it brings in, they're cool ideas. Uh, you know, I like it a lot better than any sort of spider armor like we've seen um, Peter Parker in from time to time, whether it's something he built himself or along with Tony Stark, because this still looks like a Spider-Man costume. Spider-Man to me is not a character that should be in armor. Um, so I don't know if this is working for me. Um, now, I'm still enjoying it better than what Nick Spencer was doing, because at least it feels like the pacing is it's moving along much faster. Uh, and we're seeing some classic uh, Spider-Man villains. So I guess I, I say all that to say that the jury's still out on this. Like, I, I think individually, when I look at the individual issues, I think they're technically well put together comics. I can't point to anything that they're not doing correctly. But again, it's just that that subtle shift in tone between when one writer's writing versus another writer. And uh, I just hope this doesn't become the norm. Like, give me, give me one writer, give me two co-writers, um, rather than you know, five or six. It's just, it's too many. You know, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Or you know, if they all want to work on the plot and the outline, hey, that's that's fantastic. But just let one person do the scripting or two people do the scripting, so you get a little more, bit more consistency. So, anyway, it's it's kind of a nitpick at this point because I am enjoying it. I like the overall ideas, um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not digging on the, the inconsistency in, in art because it changes issue to issue and, and the writer changes issue to issue. Um, and I will say, you know, I guess I'll take back something I just said about it technically being a, a well-done book. I think it's 90% there, but I will say for a book that's coming out on a weekly basis, not much has happened yet. You know, we've gotten over a month of this. We know Ben Riley works for the Beyond Corporation. We know he's got a cool costume. We know the Beyond, we have our suspicions, which, you know, it's a comic. So I suspected right from the start that the Beyond Corporation may not be all on the up and up. But we've seen Ben Riley bit by a Morbius. Now we see Craven. It's not a spoiler. He's on the cover. Um, but, and, and Pete's in a coma. Like, but we knew all that stuff during the first issue of, of, beyond right now we're on chapter five and we still know the same so it could it could stand to move a little faster um and, and maybe that's not even the, the right because i feel like the pacing is right um it just needs some more of the big story beats you know for for a book that's coming out this quickly again i've, I've talked about in the past where i feel like when a book is on a weekly schedule release that you don't get as much of a story in, in each individual issue. Cause the writer's like, well, we have plenty of space and all of a sudden it kind of, it, it's hard to get right. So anyway, all that to say, 
Spider-Man's better than it was, not as good as it could be. So, uh, all right. Well, on to Jay's first book. It's uh, I, this very well may, may be his, well, no, because Beyond the Breach. Anyway, it's vinyl number six. I know you've been a huge fan of this series. I keep saying I'm going to read it and get caught up, and I just can't seem to find the time. But anyway, it's written by Doug Wagner. The artist is Daniel Hilliard. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Ed Dukeshire. I like this book a lot. I know you haven't read it. But I just like the uh, the writing style. The artwork is amazing. Um, and this one, like we know, we're already, it's no spoiler. Like you said, Walter, we know his old timers. The only way he remembers anything in his old days is through music. So that's the key to him with this uh, psychosis. Without music, he doesn't remember who he is. He's not a, a, a ultimate killer. This is the battle royale, I guess you would say. It's between him and Madeline, you know, the cult leader. It's what you expect. It's bloody and good. Um, the ending reveals so much. I can't go over it, but it, it uh, finally ties up all of the loose ends throughout the story that we're trying to find out, you know, why the agent Dennis was like a key thing in the story. Um, and most everybody's dead. I mean, everybody is not a spoiler, but, you know, all his little henchmen and uh, serial mirrors that he had are gone pretty much the other side. You know, it's pretty much the same story, just leader against leader. Like I said, I just like it. It's bloody. It's gory. <laughs> and the ending's good. It ties it up pretty nice. And I just want, you, I just want more of the stories. I really enjoy the character a lot. Yeah, it's kind of weird to me whenever I flip through it because the art is sort of cartoony and playful, but the story is not at all like that. The story's pretty brutal, and although it does have humor. So, do, I mean, does the art fit the tone of the story, or does it make it feel weird? No, I think it works good because, like I said, it was they did the other one too, uh, plastic. It was kind of the same kind of uh, style of artwork and stuff. You're like, oh, this looks like going to be a uh, interesting. Book. Then you find out, no, it's not really a kids' book. It's kind of like um, what's the one with the dogs in it, where it's got, like the cute cartoon covers, but you're like, no, this isn't. Uh, oh, stray dogs. Dogs, yeah, it's kind of like the same concept. So, image is kind of uh, they throw you for uh, I guess a, a curveball when they do that, and I kind of enjoy that. Hmm. All right, fair enough. I, de- I definitely. Want to make time to read it at some point. Uh, it almost became it almost became my book of the week, but uh, there's another one though. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, I, it was pretty close. <laughs> yeah, I figured it would be, and you know, I've heard I've heard nothing but good things about it, so definitely makes me want to read it. Uh, okay, let me move on. I have another Marvel book I'm going to talk about. It's the Death of Doctor Strange, number three. This is from writer Jed McKay. Lee Garbett is the artist. Antonio Fabella on colors. Corey Petit on letters. You flip to the first page, it says chapter five. That, that always throws me in this book <laughs> that I was like, wait, chapter five, did I miss some issues? Like, I know there's other tie-ins beyond just a regular series. This is only issue three. But then I remembered, oh, wait, each book ha- can have more than one chapter. And sure enough, I think this book has three. You have chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. Yeah. So there's three <laughs> three chapters. So it's actually the fourth uh, The fourth book so far um is it one two three four that's the fifth book uh we've had death of dr strange avengers one and uh strange advent strange academy prevents death of dr strange number one um so they're a little behind on these when i look at the dates they don't line up exactly um but anyway this this has been a, a good story i've been enjoying it uh I'm, I'm not the most familiar with dr strange i do like him as a character uh and it's got a really cool cover as well that Kari Andrews did. But um, in the first issue, and we talked about this last time, we talked about the second issue, Doctor Strange gets killed. 
And he has this contingency where he, this version of Dr. Strange from very, very early in his career comes to, he comes to investigate his own murder basically. Um, and, and he, he has, he doesn't know anybody. <laughs> he, he was never an Avenger. He wasn't a member of the Illuminati. He hasn't even met Clea yet. Clea, however you pronounce it. Um, so he's got a unique perspective on, on what's going on. Um, but we, we also got introduced to the mothers who are these three mysterious magic users that have, uh, because Dr. Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme is no longer guarding earth. They have brought their child who is called uh, Peregrine, who basically is some sort of multidimensional creature. We're not exactly sure that they sort of explain it here, but then they say they, they think that's what it is, but it, maybe it's not. But he basically eats magic. Um, and all the mothers care about is, you know, like any mother for their young child is, is nurturing and feeding it. So um, they're wreaking havoc through the whole universe, basically all the dimensions of the, of the Marvel universe. So everybody's coming to hide out on Earth because Earth has the most heroes. Doctor Strange is not there as Sorcerer Supreme, but if Doctor Strange is gone, somebody else should ascend to that title of Sorcerer Supreme, but it's not happening. We find out why in this issue, and it's a, it's a fascinating concept and reason for that happening, and, and kudos to Jed McKay for that. So um, this is a complex story, but yet everything's easy to understand like the scope it keep it keeps getting bigger and bigger but in a way with all these complex moving parts a jed mckay makes it very very easy to understand so i, I i'm enjoying this far more than i thought i would i mean i okay death of dr strange I'm not that familiar with the character I've, I've always wanted to read more dr strange i loved the mark wade run which is probably the most of any run i've ever read uh, even though I have a bunch of Doctor Strange books from the 90s, uh, I just never read them. Um, so I was like, I, let me go all in on this Death of Doctor Strange and see you know, how I like it, how, how it's going to be received. And uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It has a very different feel than what Mark Wade did. I mean, Mark Wade, in a way, he almost took the, the magic out of the series in a lot of ways. And you know, he was out in space and it felt very super heroic. This is getting back into the mystical... Um, and the fact that we have this Dr. Strange, who's much less experienced is interesting to me. And these ideas and his interactions with characters that know him or know the older version of him, but he doesn't, he doesn't have the sort of context with them it is really interesting as well. So don't sleep on the series. I think it's very, very good. The lead garbage art is fantastic. I'm surprised by the Antonio Fabella colors. Um, and that's not to say I'm surprised by how good they are because he's fantastic and he works with Lee all the time. But the variety, the diverseness in colors is not something I've seen from Antonio before. Um, probably because the stories he's, that I've read that he's colored haven't required it. But here it does. And he does a superb job. So um, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm really enjoying this, uh, this series. Can't wait to see how it all plays out. Uh, all right. On to Jay's next book. Uh, it's Time Before Time. It's written by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville. Joe Palmer is the artist. Chris O'Halloran on colors. Hassan Atzman Elhow on letters. And uh, I don't know how I feel. Like, I feel like the last issue was a little bit out of place because it didn't deal with the main characters we've been following all along. I guess they were trying to give context. And now all of a sudden we're back to the main character. So 
don't know. felt a little weird to me. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I actually wrote it down. I was like, it felt out of place. The last issue, I, I guess that's going to come in later on. I'm not too sure, but uh, this one goes back to the main characters, uh, Tasuyo and Nadio. And remember, they're just trying to, she, they're both together working together so she can find her family, I guess, in the year 2042. But this one starts off pretty uh, bloody, I guess. So, no, I guess the, uh, the, the battle, or I guess uh, the feud between the syndicate and the union is starting to get a little more intense now because of what they did in the previous issues. We get like a, more information about time travel in this one. I don't want to give it away, but we find out some things can't travel through, but now they can. So we have, like I guess, another character that's introduced. That's kind of interesting. To me, I didn't know that. And then uh, we get like a surprise I guess like a little cliffhanger into this issue. So I'm just kind of curious where they're going to go with it now. Cause you know, that was a whole premise of the stories up to this point. So it's like, okay, what, ne- what's next now for these, for these two characters. But I do enjoy the series. The artwork, if, uh, I think goes with the tone perfectly. And I do like these two characters a lot. So like I said, it just, the last one, like you said, it was kind of weird, but there's gotta be more to it, I guess, down the road, I guess, with this, with these two characters. Yeah, again, I don't know how to feel about time travel, and we're told that you, you can't alter things, which is supposed to make time travel easier to follow, I guess. But man, I, I feel like at times I'm totally lost in the story. <laughs> what the heck's going on? So it's definitely one where I think I, when it's all said and done, I'm going to have to sit down and read it as one big story and see if I can make sense out of it in my head. Oh, yeah. Like I said, it's everything you thought about time travel isn't true. This is the way they say in this book. You're like, okay, that makes a little more sense, I guess, in some aspect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, my next book is Echo Lands, number four. This is from co-writers and co-creators J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. Um, J.H. Williams does the art and design. Dave Stewart on colors, Todd Klein on letters. And I mean, it's just a gorgeous book. The fact that it's, it's a long ways landscape, if you will, instead of portrait orientation of the book really that's jh williams art shine i talked last time about how it's really a celebration of comics where he's introducing these characters that are clearly homages to like kirby jack kirby's creations and fourth world and that sort of thing but then he's got like shogun warrior toys that he's homaging in, in a certain land where somebody washes up on the beach and there's like this giant shogun warrior there so it's it's he's mashing up they're mashing up all these awesome ideas because the overall feel and tone of the story is this band of adventures that feels very dungeons and dragons and the world they inhabit has magic and monsters and is sort of polluted but yet it has roots in our world i mean they start out in the city of san francisco and there's references to things that we and events that we know but this is clearly not our world at least not didn't uh, you know, history didn't play out the way that it that it did uh, in our world in this comic. And so there's just so much to unpack here. And with J.H. Williams and his you know, fantastically detailed and dynamic art, <clears throat> this could be like the most beautifully illustrated comic that's coming out currently. Um, and the other thing that I love about it is in the back of every issue, there is um, like this interview, this long form interview with this reporter who's been talking to basically the leader of the city of San Francisco. Again, it's not, it's not totally clear the way government or, you know, who's in charge of of the, is it, is it a United States of America? Is it city States? Like what exactly is going on? So there's this, this wizard who supposedly is 
has everyone's best interest at heart that kind of makes the rules and makes the laws, whatever. But it's also clear that he's a bit of a despot or tyrant. And so it's very foreboding and menacing. Like there's this undercurrent in the interview, the subtext that this guy's not a good guy. Um, and, and this reporter's trying to walk that fine line between getting that the truth, but obviously not wanting to like offend the guy because he's basically the most powerful person in maybe in the world. I don't know. It's not, it's not um, totally clear. So this definitely feels big in scope and like it's a, a long form story that Blackman and, and Williams are going to be telling here. Uh, I could see this going for, you know, 40, 50 issues. Uh, but it, it does feel like a story that they probably have an ending in mind. Like I, I don't, it doesn't feel like to me anyway, that this would be a world where at least for these characters, where it would go on indefinitely. It, it definitely feels like a story that would have a beginning, a middle and end. Uh, but the world's fascinating enough that, yeah, then you could go on to tell other stories of people in the same world. So um, I guess we'll see. Uh, and when you talk about introducing all these other ideas from, you know, just sort of classic stuff that we grew up with that we love, you know, from Shogun Warrior toys to Jack Kirby comics to, you know, video games or whatever that plays in with the title, right? Echo lands where you're seeing these different ideas sort of echoed and you see them on the page. Um, so I think that's a really cool kind of homage and, and a great way to name it. But I don't know if that's why J.H. Williams and, and Hayden Blackman named it that at all. I have to have to ask him if we can get him to come on the show. So, uh, all right. Up next, Jay's going to talk about uh, first issue of a Marvel title. It's Hawkeye Kate Bishop. Obviously, we have the Hawkeye show coming out on Disney+. Plus. They get first couple episodes are out already, I think. So written by Mariki Nijkamp. Pencils are by Enid Balam. Inks by Oren Jr. Colors by Brittany Peer. And letters by Joe Caramagna. I thought about reading it myself, but I haven't read any Hawkeye, like other than him and like team books. Like I know the Matt Fraction run with David Aja is like everybody raves about it and whatever, but I've never read it. So um, he's a character I used to really enjoy when I read him in West Coast Avengers, but I've been off of him for so long. I feel like he's not really the same character. He's been, it's been, you know, decades since I've read him. So I, and I don't know anything about Kate Bishop. So I, I skipped this one. I'll have to go based on what, what you tell me, Jay. So what'd you think? Yeah, I was saying the same thing. Um, well, she was first appeared with the Young Avengers. I read the first couple of issues of Young Avengers, but it wasn't my cup of tea, I guess, because it was very different type of a comic book. I think the audience base was not my age group. I think it was someone younger. It was just a bunch of like teen issues and that, so I didn't really catch my interest. What caught my interest in this was, um, yeah, I'm a huge Hawkeye fan. I love Hawkeye, and she's carrying the title, but. When I read Young Avengers, they didn't give her a voice. I mean, it's like, yeah, she carried the name, but there was, and she dated, you know, certain characters. Okay, that's it. But it was really no meat and potatoes of, you know, her backstory, you know, why she does what she does. So reading this, it kind of seems like with the writer, they're going to help, you know, uh, I guess mold her and shape her into, you know, a, a hero that she can be. So that's what really caught my interest. You know, she's a private investigator. So that's how it starts off. She's, you know, uh, conducting an investigation. Um, she does what most, you know, people that are hurt, you know, the younger people do is she's always on her phone, you know, texting back and forth, which I kind of like, but this is her own solo book. Um, like I said, and I think 
by reading it, they're going to give you more, uh, you know, basis of who she is and why she does it. And that's why I like it. The artwork's not are pretty good. I like it. Um, but we'll see where it goes. Like I said, it's only the first issue, but uh, so far, I, I, I like it. Uh, is is uh, Clinton Barton in it, or is it just Kate Bishop? It's just her. Gotcha. I mean, I'm sure he'll have a cameo, obviously, because of, you know, the name and all. But um, I think they're just going to try to focus on her. I I, I, I kind of think they're trying to do the same thing they did with Spider-Woman and uh, Black Widow. You know, they we know these characters, but we don't really know much much more about the character themselves, you know. They're trying to you know, build up like the character. Yeah, what about the – I'm not familiar with the artist. Was uh, the art solid? Yeah, it fits the book good. I mean, I like it. Gotcha. Okay, well, uh, let's move on. Uh, I guess I'll talk about Iron Man next. Behold the Birth of Cosmic Iron Man. It's issue number 14 from writer Christopher Cantwell. Art is by Kafu with Angel Nzieta. Colors by Frank D'Armada. Letters by Joe Caramagna. We saw last issue that uh, Korvac had reached his goal, got into Dow 2, which is Galactus's ship. Stole the power cosmic, and at that moment, Iron Man tried to intervene, and he tried to steal the power cosmic, so it was kind of a cliffhanger, like who was going to get the power, who wasn't. Um, and so in this issue, we we find out what ha- uh, what happened between the two of them. And this, this whole issue sort of takes place in Tony Stark's mind. We get a lot of insight into who Tony Stark is. I've talked a lot in this series about how Christopher Cantwell is tearing Tony Stark down to build him back up and how much I enjoy that. What's so interesting is in a way, this is sort of meta with Tony realizing and Cantwell showing us that Tony's realizing who he is and what his flaws have been all along. And in a, in a way it makes, it makes Tony a very tragic figure in a lot of ways, because, you know, for all his decades of existence, he's had these flaws. It's part of who he is. And what makes it tragic is that you, you always hope to, to better yourself at some point, right? Like you, you want to get better. You want to improve. You want to grow and evolve as a, as a character. And in a lot of ways, Tony's still fighting a lot of the same, I'll use the word demons, right? Demon in a bottle, one of the most famous Iron Man arcs ever. Uh, Tony's still fighting a lot of those same demons that he's been fighting like all along. And I love that Cantwell, like I said, tearing him down to build him back up is going back to these classic ideas that, you know, throughout all the MCU and Robert Downey Jr.'s take on the character and how that's influenced um, who Iron Man and Tony Stark have been in the comics over the last couple decades, it's sort of gotten away from who Tony was in the beginning, who he was at his core. And, and that's what I mean about Catwell taking it back to, to kind of the roots. Um, and so, yeah, in a way it's, it's like, man, Tony hasn't gotten past this stuff yet. Well, you can think about what more, a lot of writers have done with Iron Man over the past couple decades, uh, at least 15 years. And again, whether they, are doing it subconsciously because of the influence of, of the MCU or it's uh, it's editorially mandated. Um, the fact of the matter is it hasn't, it hasn't really been the, the Tony Stark, the classic Tony Stark from before the MCU rolled around. So I love that Cantwell is, 
is going back to that take on Tony. And I look forward to seeing if Tony can, can really grow. Cause that's what we're, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about personal growth and being able to uh, achieve the things that he wants to achieve. Um, but then that's sort of the rub, right? That Tony always bites off more than he can chew. He doesn't ask for help. He thinks he knows best. It comes back to that arrogance. And in a way, a lot of what happens in this issue, you know, you end up shaking your head going, is he, is he, is Tony going to make the same mistakes that he always makes or can he actually grow as a person, as a character? So to me, that's the most fascinating part of it. Um, and that doesn't have anything to do with the actual story uh, in terms of can he stop Korvac? What's going on with his teammates, you know, Frogman and Misty Knight and Ben Riley and all that. We still have that to, to, to see what ha- is going to happen with all of them. Plus, we have the fantastic art of Kafu so for, and the cool Alex Ross covers. So for me, this is a, a series that's firing on all cylinders. Favorite Iron Man series in a long, long time. So kudos to the whole entire creative team for that. Uh, okay, Jay's next book is, let's go with Beyond the Breach. This is the final issue, number five, The Sad They Walk. It's called Ed Brisson is the writer, Damien Cusero is the artist. Patricio Del Pesh does the colors and Hassan Otsman Elhow on letters. I was excited last week. I thought it was coming out, but I got uh, I guess got postponed until yeah. this week. So <clears throat> this is definitely my book of the week because I was looking forward to this, the last chapter in this uh, little series. It's been a fun ride because we uh, finally got uh, Samuel, uh, little kid Doug and Vanessa, you know, all cornered by the Mackin because they've been on the hunt for him. You think things are going to go one way, but they don't. And it just, it's, it's awesome. I just love the storyline. I don't want to give too much of how things play out, but the, uh, there is some sacrifices and the ending, you know, um, that the quest is complete, I guess you can say in this issue, but they always, they leave a door for, I guess, another one. I, I don't know if they are going to do another series or not. The, uh, the little note by the uh, writer said, you know, maybe we'll see you again next time. I'm not sure, but the artwork was always been good for this. And the writing is amazing because <clears throat> when you first pick up the first issue, they don't get any, uh, you know, uh, backstory of any of the characters kind of throw you in with, Hey, it's just the world as it is, you know, it's, it's fast paced. There's a lot of chaotic stuff going on, but during that you get to see that develop the characters and you kind of enjoy the characters a lot and you want to see what happens to them. You want to, you want the best for these characters and you know, somehow it's not going to end that way, but it's still a great story. It's just so well put together. So that's why it's my book of the week. Yeah, I figured it would be. And I, for me, what really, what really made it work. And we talked before about several times about the first issue and how it just kind of throws you right in the middle of the action. You weren't sure what the heck was going on. So in a way, Ed Brisson kind of gives up a whole issue of, of like characterization and plot, right? Cause we meet, you know, the main girl, but we don't meet, um, Samuel until issue two. So his story, you know, you only get four issues of him, but he goes on an incredible arc in terms of, of growth. Like the sacrifice he makes in this uh, is fascinating. And all I'll say is we don't actually know what happens in terms of his character. So there's a possibility that we've seen the last of them. There's a possibility that we haven't seen the last of them. So 
like that that to me is is the biggest reason i, I want to see this um the series continue so i thought it was fantastic uh love aftershock love ed brisson thought the art was great the creatures the turtle uh yeah it was all it was all fantastic big fan uh okay next i'm going to talk about a book that a lot of people have been anticipating it's hulk number one from writer donnie cates and uh ryan otley handles the art but it, it's weird like neither one of it's not like donnie cates is listed as a writer and otley is um as artists it just says by donnie cates and ryan otley so I, I won't make any assumptions on you know who did what or i mean obviously donnie cates he has a little bit of artistic ability he i think he drew a cover for a, a recent issue of spawn uh, but I think Ryan Otley is probably handling the majority of the art duties. Donnie Cates is handling the majority of the writing duties, but maybe Ryan Otley's ha- helping out with plotting. I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, Frank Martin does the colors, Corey Petit on letters. Like I said, a lot of people have been anticipating this. Immortal Hulk finally ended last month. And that's a little bit why I didn't care for this book. Uh, and I've talked before about it. Um, about how I, I just miss like having a heroic Hulk, just like, just give me a superhero story with the Hulk. I feel like it's been forever since we've just had the Hulk as a superhero. Uh, and I miss that. I, I think there's a, a place for that in the Marvel universe, but it's, it's sort of been like ever since the Illuminati decided to send them away uh, off of earth in a rocket, it's just been story after story of Hulk mad. Hulk is mad. Hulk is an engine of destruction. Hulk is a, a problem to be solved. So I'm a little tired of reading about stories of, of Hulk being a problem to solve. Um, and, and they keep mixing it with different stuff to Marvel's credit, you know, like it was mixed with body horror and man or monster in the most recent run of a Hulk, which was critically acclaimed. And, and I thought started out really well and ended pretty well, kind of bogged down a, a little bit in the middle. Um, and I'm not saying that Donnie Cates doesn't have some really interesting ideas here. Uh, and maybe in the right context, I would be on board with this. But, you know, I, I talked about Cates taking him into space. We knew that was coming. Um, again, interesting concept of the way to get there, how we get from point A to point B. But I just, I'm ready for, you know, quote unquote, normal Hulk book. And this is not that. This is, you know, wild, crazy, big ideas, which again, there's a place for that. And I, I respect the creators um, taking chances and wanting to swing for the fences and, and hit a home run here. But this is, it's just, again, it's not a Hulk story that it's not the Hulk story that I've, I want that I've been missing. Um, and even if you don't want to tell the superhero Hulk story, uh, I love the whole idea of, of banner on the run Hulk and him helping out where he can. Uh, in that way, being a, a smaller hero, you know, not necessarily a superhero. I mean, very much what the um, TV show from the 70s and 80s was. Uh, grew up on that. So I'm always a sucker for that sort of story. But again, I'm not editorial. I'm not making these decisions. And uh, I think there are some good ideas here. Um, and, and I know I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but and maybe I'll enjoy it when we get you know, it's only first issue. Maybe we get a little further along. I'll enjoy it more, but just for me personally, it, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, 
the art by Otley is fantastic. Maybe the, the best artwork I've seen from Otley. This is a little more polished than I've seen his art in the past. Um, there's especially some great emotional facial expressions for Banner. There's a lot of action in here with some really brutal knockdown drag out scenes with a fight between Hulk and Iron Man. So there, there's a lot to like, but again, just personally, this is not the Hulk series that I wanted coming out of Immortal Hulk. And I, and I knew, and I knew that that was going to be the case, right? Like as soon as I heard Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley were on it, I said that I said, they're probably going to take him to space or do something crazy. And it's just, it's, it's not what I had hoped for coming out of Immortal Hulk. I was hoping for a little more status quo, but again, maybe they'll win me over. We'll have to wait and, and see, but uh, I know you read it also, Jay, you have any, anything to add? Yeah. It's like we both said, we talked about it before we knew it was going to be a space thing. And I kind of agree. I kind of, I hate that they're always trying to contain the Hulk and control him and try to get rid of him. It's like, just let him be the Hulk and see what happens. You know, like you said, I like the older issues of the Hulk, you know, like you know, issue like, you know, 200 and down, it was a story about the, you know, the, him helping people and just being, you know, a gentle creature, you know, trying to be uh, peaceful. But like I said, ever since uh, the Hulk world, it kind of just went the other route and it just never came back. Yeah. I, I agree. It's like, how many times are we going to tell the story of, of, like I said, the Hulk engine of destruction needs to be contained. You know, the whole idea of, of him being a, a, a portion of Banner's psyche and all that kind of stuff. So, and Banner's uh, always the bad guy or crazy. He's always like a nutty, uh, you know, the mass scientist. I'm like, what? I always thought that he wasn't the mass scientist when they first brought the character out. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right. Well, the next book that we're going to talk about is also a book that's been highly anticipated. Uh, it's from writer Ryan Higgins. We have art by Marcelo Costo, colors by Igor Monti, letters by Becca Carey, designed by Michael Basudel. It's Radiant Black, issue number 10. There is a black light version, uh, which I think is 10 bucks. Um, and I, I ordered a couple extra copies because I think it's really cool. I think it might be worth something someday. Um, it's only ever going to be printed once. They're never going to do reprints of it, which they said that a long time ago. And then image is like, well, they're not doing any reprints right now because of the paper shortage, but fa fascinating, fascinating way to, to present a story. I mean, this whole radiant black series has been talk about swinging for the fences has been a real surprise, all kinds of twists and turns, but what a way to do something different printing it in black and, uh, or black light with black fluorescent inks and whatnot. So, um, yeah. And, and not only, did they do that? But I felt like they chose a good issue, good emotional issue to do it. So what'd you think, Jay? Oh yeah. I'd like you. I'm on board. I'm going to probably give me a couple of the, if I can get a couple of these, I know I, I pre-ordered one, but if I can get another one, I think I'll just not going to open that one up, but the black light, let's do it. Especially with this character and him being in this, uh, the end of the universe type of uh, thing. It's like, it should be awesome. But speaking of which, this is a quest for Marshall. He's trying to help out his friend, Nathan, who's, uh, you know, we know, He's uh, been in a coma and he needs help. This was a very psychological, like you said, it's him, you know, trying to find and help Nathan go and do the end of time and existence to, you know, to do this. But he, there's a lot of more uh, self-growth. He actually, you know, uh, finds the truth in himself. Cause they keep saying that, you know, you got to find the truth, you know, it's, you know, the existence 
you know, the truth is in there and it finds out, you know, why he's actually doing this. It's like, well, he's my friend, but there's more to the story. And I, I like that concept, you know, the ending is really cool. Um, but just the artwork and the color, I just can't wait to see it under the black light because with the way the schematics, it just looks amazing. But you're right. There's always twists and turns because in the very beginning, we thought Nathan was going to be like the main hero. But now, nah, no, nah, we're not doing that. We're going to go with Marshall. So it's like, I'm going to see how they're going to be Marshall back. And what's what's next? It's just, just a fascinating uh, world. Yeah, but is Marshall coming back? Who's going to be the Radiant? Like, there's, there's, yes. so many, there's so many answers. I mean, at one point, we saw a much older uh, Nathan from like a different timeline that right. was the Radiant. <laughs> so then we thought he was dead. And then Maybe he's not. Is he going to wake up from his coma? Is he not going to wake up from his coma? Is he going to be the same person? Like, man, all kinds of questions. But what I love about what Higgins does in the issue, it's this series is so many times it has changed what we thought it would be, or at least what I assumed it would be, even a little bit what um, Kyle Higgins told us it was going to be. But one thing that's always been at the core is the relationship between Marshall and Nathan. And I love that um, the Higgins doesn't shy away from it, right? Like this is a great example of pushing toxin, toxic masculinity to the side and getting in touch with, you know, the feelings that two guys can have for each other. It doesn't mean they're uh, necessarily romantic feelings, but, you know, these two guys have known each other all their life and, you know, Nathan moved away and then came back and Marshall was kind of annoying him. And, you know, it wasn't clear that they were, that they were in the same place in life anymore. And, you know, Nathan kind of resented having to move home and there was a lot of character dynamic there. Um, and I love that Higgins and the rest of the creative team are leaning into that because it would be easy to just have them fall back into their old roles of high school buddies, or just kind of ignore the subtext, but instead it's the, that subtext is the driving force of this issue. So like just fantastic creative work from, from Higgins in this issue. Uh, yeah, really, really great. Um, yeah. So, uh, let me move on to, uh, last book I'm going to talk about. If I can find it here. Um, so I, if you heard last week, I got a chance to chat with, uh, with Scott Snyder about his, uh, imprint best jacket press. We know he's got these comiXology originals coming out right now. They come out every Tuesday. Uh, and so yesterday, the book that came out was chapter two of Night of the Ghoul that he writes um, with, uh, or he writes it, he, he co-created it with the artist who also handles the colors. That's Francesco Francavilla. And the whole idea of it is there's this monster called the ghoul that's been around since the very beginning of time. Uh, and it's sort of the, the reason behind all the other monster legends vampires and werewolves and whatnot they're all all those legends have sort of been birthed out of the idea of this ghoul which has infected people over time and and caused them to either look like vampires or look like werewolves or that sort of thing so the ghoul is this horrific monster who is sort of the reason behind all the other monstrous legends and there was a, a filmmaker who who tried to expose the truth and make a film about it but the uh, insinuation is that there was this fire at the studio before the film could be released. And the, um, the filmmaker was horribly uh, injured 
and, and you know, some sort of a conspiracy theory, maybe people that worship the ghoul or know about the ghoul didn't want this to go public. Uh, and so they punished him. And then years, years later, when the story starts, this guy who's a horror fan and, and he, he has a, he wanted to be a filmmaker, but has a job at the studio restoring film, digitizing film, comes across the remnants of this film that, that the secret order that worships the ghoul thought was destroyed. And he tracks this guy down. He's been in hiding. And, uh, and that's sort of everything that happens in the first issue. So the second issue, we get a little more context. We see a little more of the film. We see a little more of the interaction between the filmmaker um, and the guy who discovered the film. There's hints of a bigger conspiracy going on. We see some things happening with uh, the guy that digitizes the film. He is his son is is he took his son with him. Uh, he separated from his wife. He took his son with him to uh, to go meet this guy at this um, at this supposed to be like a nursing home but maybe isn't really is actually something else. Uh, there's hints of that. And so there's something going on with his son. He has, he's kind of wandering around this place. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's just a really great story. And it, this particular issue, the second issue had a lot more of the film than the first issue did. So that's adding context because we, we sort of learn about the filmmaker and, and what his relationship is to the characters in the film. Um, and there's this idea that there's a much bigger conspiracy going on and we get some hints of maybe going to see this film filmmaker was a really, really bad idea. Um, so uh, really fast paced. We learn a lot ratcheting up the tension the first issue was really creepy uh, and moody with that Francovia art. We still get some of that creepiness and some of the moodiness, especially with the colors. But what I felt like we got the most in this issue was tension. Like the tension was ramped up to uh, to a hundred. So it, it's beautifully illustrated by Francovia. Like I can't imagine anybody else drawing this, but him and with that tension adding to the creepiness, it's sort of on the verge of becoming horrifying. And I think as the story unfolds and we learn more about the ghoul and we, and we see things um, artistically escalate, it's going to be like one of those things where it gives you shivers, you know, you get that funny feeling down the middle of your back, which I think I talked about. I think I use that exact same expression when I was talking about the first issue just that weird tingle, like in the middle of your back, you know, like a few inches below your neck or you're reading it and you're like looking over your shoulder. Cause it's just that creepy. So uh, fantastic job by, uh, by both creators, by, by Scott Snyder and, uh, and Frank Avia. So um, highly recommend getting a comiXology unlimited a subscription so you can check out all of the originals it's, it's like 6.99 a month 7.99 so it's basically the cost of one comic and you get all the originals plus all the 40,000 other library of books that uh, that comiXology offers so definitely definitely recommend that um and we know that jay's book of the week is beyond the breach um i i have like a really tough time 
I, I think I have to go with radiant black, but it's, it's, I mean, Iron Man was absolutely excellent. Echo lens was good in, in a way. I, I even think as much as I didn't care for it, didn't speak to me Hulk just for the ambitiousness of the idea <laughs> deserves a mention. Um, but yeah, I think, and night of the gold also just because it's so expertly done. Uh, but ultimately I'm going to go with radiant black as my book of the week because, because of the emotion and the issue. So that's my, that's my pick. Uh, all right. On to some other books you might want to be on lookout for uh, Miskatonic, even death may die. Number one, which is a one shot. I never, that's one of the very few aftershock titles I haven't read is Miskatonic, but if you're a fan, it's coming back. Uh, you got a one shot there uh, over at AWA Marjorie Finnegan, temporal criminal number seven. That's a Garth Ennis book. Uh, also fight girls from Frank Cho gets a number five and then moths uh, is up to number six over at boom. We have house of slaughter. Number two, that's James Tynan's um, slaughter verse, as he calls it. Second issue of that is out um, over at DC. And again, you can check out the DC spotlight if you want to, uh, hear what we had to say about these. We have Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target, number two of seven. We have Batman, Reptilian, number six of six, with amazing art by Liam Sharp. Garth Ennis is a writer that brings that series to a close. Catwoman, number 37. That's the last part of the Fear State crossover with Catwoman. Uh, Checkmate, number six of six from Brian Michael Bendis. Far and away the best issue of that series. Uh, and that finishes it off. DC versus Vampires, number two of 12 written by Tynan and Matthew Rosenberg, which was a whole heck of a lot of fun. Uh, Deathstroke Incorporated, number three, from Joshua Williamson, also the best issue of that series so far. Detective Comics, number 1045, which also finishes up the Fear State crossover, was excellent. Uh, Flash, number 776, instantly classic from writer Jeremy Adams. Harley Quinn, number nine, also the last of the Fear State crossovers for Harley. I've never been a Harley fan, especially because at one point I read every single appearance that she had in the DC universe over the period of like three weeks. Um, but Stephanie Phillips, the writer of that series may be giving me my favorite version of Harley ever. She's quickly turning me into a Harley fan. So that's, that's pretty impressive to me. Uh, Robin number eight from Joshua Williamson mentioned that as Rocky's book of the week. Uh, my book of the week, Superman 78, number four of six from uh, Robert Venditti. And then uh, Task Force Z, number two, Task Force Z, whichever you prefer. Uh, also written by Matthew Rosenberg, fantastic. Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, Adriana Lucas art on that one. And then the last issue of Wonder Woman, black and gold, number six, which is one of those limited color palette series. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books that we've already talked about, Decorum number eight is out. We also have uh, Gunslinger Spawn number two, written by Todd McFarlane with art by Brett Booth. Action packed, really fast paced. Um, can't believe how quick of a read that one was. Uh, we also have um, That Texas Blood number 12, which I know a lot of people have been talking about how good that book is. Uh, there's a new Black Panther issue number one is out this week. That's from John Ridley who's doing the next Batman over at, uh, at DC and is an Academy award-winning screenwriter. So uh, I think he's a good choice for black Panther. Uh, we've got star Wars life day. Number one, which I think is a one shot. Uh, and then star Wars, the high Republic trail of the shadows, number two of five Thor, number 19. 
And then over in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe Wolverine number 18 and an X-Force kill shot anniversary special uh, number one and X-Men number five. Uh, and I think, oh, I also wanted to mention Valiant uh, Harbinger issue number two, which I wanted to read, but I just, I ran out of time. I didn't get a chance to read that uh, before we started chatting. So uh, anything I missed, Jay, anything else you want to shout out? I'm not sure. Did you go over Vault Comics, the last book you ever read? Number four comes out this week. That's where the book, if you read it, makes you crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that comes out. That's uh, issue four comes out this week. And then uh, one that caught my interest was by Source Point Press. It's called Good Boy Number One of Three uh, by Gary Gunn and Kit Wallace. It's where dogs and humans are equal. So dogs actually walk around like a human and they're like you're your friends. And you're so that's interesting. So I just wanted to catch that. So I just thought that'd be interesting. Wow. That is interesting especially based on the um, success of stray dogs recently wonder if that oh, yeah. one will, will take off so uh anyway that's gonna do it everybody for this week uh again want to wish you all happy thanksgiving and happy holidays as we head into this holiday season hope you enjoyed the reviews as always and we'll talk to you next time thank you you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.